0: The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for The Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at the com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Oh, goodness. Where do you start? So you got Hunter Biden in his laptop. You've got uh, Al Sharpton claiming that uh, if Tyree Nichols had been white, the cops wouldn't have beat him like that. I just can't stand him. <laughs> Seriously. What a horrible human being. Uh, So you got that, and then you have—have you been paying attention today, my friend? Then you've got the Chinese spy satellite uh, slowly, gently drifting its way over U.S. airspace. And what does the government do under the leadership, the able leadership of our commander-in-chief, Joe Biden? Uh, Nothing. And so that one's ridiculous to me. But is it really— so so Joe Biden found out about this. So do you, are you aware of this? Do you know what's going on? There's a Chinese, it looks like one of those, I've got a picture of it on the screen behind me here in the studio if you're on Facebook Live or Rumble. So there's a Chinese, you know, what looks to be like a weather balloon. You know, they're rather large. But underneath it uh looks like a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of electronic gear and uh satellite-type looking gear. And the underside of the thing, the cargo that it's carrying, they've uh, suggested, is about the size of two school buses end-to-end. End. So this is a large payload. Originally, China said, oh, we're so sorry. That's just a civilian-like weather balloon thing that uh, got off course because the prevailing winds didn't go our way. And so it drifted, you know, all the way around the globe. And and somewhere over the polar ice cap, perhaps, and, and now we're sorry it's floating over your country. And the military has done, under the able body leadership of Joe Biden, has literally done nothing. And they're saying now, because now, this afternoon, it was somewhere they were thinking over Kansas or Missouri. They're thinking it will cross, uh, will pass out of or over U.S. soil somewhere between... I found the North Carolina, South Carolina border out over the ocean. I wonder if feckless Joe, Joe Biden with all his strange and interesting and fascinating connections with China and his son, Hunter, which we'll get to. Uh, I wonder if that's factoring in there. And the and the problem here is the fact that I'm even thinking like that uh, is an issue based on these years of Joe and Hunter's dealings and, and the other brother. And with Ukraine and China and all kinds of crazy stuff. So what's happening there? And Tuesday, so it was up in the Netherlands, not the Netherlands as in Netherlands over in Europe, but like the Netherlands up in the middle of nowhere in the northern part of the country, flying over things like, uh, you know, we have some things up there that are, uh, well, what do you call them? Oh, that's right, a nuclear missile base. <laughs> I can't imagine that the Chinese would have any interest in that. So here's a story. This is a former U.S. Secretary of Defense under Trump, Mark Esper, uh, talking to CNN, interestingly enough, of all places, about shooting it down. Uh, he claimed that the balloon entering U.S. airspace was a brazen act by the Chinese communist government and that it should be met with resolve. No kidding. Quote, you got to match the Chinese head to head, Esper claimed on Friday, uh, CNN this morning. Yeah, th- unless you're Joe Biden. Esper stated his first choice would be to capture the balloon to see what it has been doing and what it's capable of, he said. And so my interest would not be necessarily shooting it down, but bringing it down so we can capture the equipment and understand exactly what they are doing. Are they taking pictures? Are they intercepting signals? What are they doing? And what is the level of technical capability? He then declared failing that. I would definitely shoot it down, provided there is no risk to people on the ground. Well, why didn't they shoot it down already? That's my question. When it was out over... Parts of the country that are not that are very sparsely populated. Okay. And okay, I understand that the cargo under this thing that it's carrying, again, if you're on Facebook Live or Rumble, you can see the picture behind me, uh, is the size of two school buses end to end. And that's, of course, significant. That's a big deal. And we don't want that falling on a densely populated area. But you would think, would you not? This is my guess. And what do I know? That the federal government. The U.S. military, who can put, they could put a smart bomb dropped at thirty thousand feet through my window here into the studio. Sorry, Josh. Uh, all they had to do is have a special forces guy out there somewhere putting a laser dot on the window, and they can drop a smart bomb from thirty thousand feet and literally land it here in the studio. They can do that. So you. To tell me that they don't know if they shot it down, if they went up there. Like an F-16 can't get high enough, but an F-15 Strike Eagle can. It's got a ceiling of about 60,000 feet. That's public information, which means they can probably go a little higher than 60,000 feet. So they could get up there and shoot it down or just put a bunch of bullets through the, uh, the balloon itself, and then it will slowly lower down to the ground. But you're telling me they couldn't determine the trajectory of the uh, – refuse when you blow the thing out of the sky, you can't determine the trajectory of that. We just circle the rocket around the moon, for goodness sakes. And we can't figure out the trajectory of a bunch of wreckage if we blew that thing out of the sky. I don't know, Mr. President. Three days ago? Uh, this is unbelievable to me. Collins asked Esper whether he was surprised that the balloon was hovering over the continental United States. To which she said, <laughs> are you surprised? Oh, no, not at all. Absolutely. Not just the con- continental United States, but our missile fields and our strategic bomber bases. So that's great concern that they are collecting intelligence. And they obviously are looking for something. They need, in, they need information that I would assume they can't get through satellites, right? Because the satellite's too high. To me, he said, this is a brazen act, so at the political level, we have to push back, we have to defend American sovereignty, and we have to make clear to the Chinese that we're not going to tolerate this. The problem is there that Joe Biden is our commander-in-chief. Esper said, there's always more to this than you know than meets the eye. I wouldn't be privy to that now, so I give the Pentagon some room here, but those are the big questions that I think people should ask, members of Congress should be asking as they dig into this further, and I would just go back to uh, President Biden knew about this on Tuesday. A Chinese satellite of sorts, the size of two school buses, end-to-end, floating over the continental United States. Sent, And the president knew about it on Tuesday, and it's still up there. Still collecting data in real time. Who knows what it's ultimately there for? The Chinese lied about it already. You're not going to get the truth from them. So a couple more things when we come back. Uh, An expert on the Chinese government and Chinese military. I've got some great quotes from him. And also the Department of Defense, get this, suspects that it can actually maneuver. So it's not just floating along, given the prevailing winds, that it can maneuver, which means they maneuvered it to that part of the country on purpose. And it's still up there. Feckless Biden. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. The more I think about this Chinese balloon floating over our country right now, the more, the more upset I get. And uh, did you hear about that? It's like 60,000 feet right now this afternoon. They were thinking it was somewhere, Kansas, Missouri area. They think it's going to exit our airspace. Why it's going to get that far, I have no idea. Exit our air face, airspace somewhere in North Carolina, South Carolina border. Excellent. I'll be sure to wave to our Chinese friends. When it flies over the Raleigh area, And uh, they think the Department of uh, Defense thinks that it could be maneuverable. Everything about this stinks. Our president knew about it on Tuesday and while it was up over areas that are sparsely populated, except for, you know, missile silos, uh, nuclear missile silos, little things like that that I'm sure the Chinese government has no interest in. uh, They didn't do anything about it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's Friday afternoon at 4.20 p.m. Eastern time (laughs) for three days. This makes no sense to me. None. Here's that uh, China expert, uh, Gordon Chang. There could be, uh, there could be anything that that the balloon carries. He's a, Ga- a Gatestone Institute senior fellow. We know where it came from. Its track has been public, and I think probably the Biden administration believes that they do not want to royal relations with China, and that they are being responsible for restraint. Unfortunately, the Chinese don't view it that way. They put a different spin on it. Okay, like them or hate them. If Donald Trump were the president of the United States, do you think this uh, balloon would still be floating over the continental US? <laughs> I think Tuesday afternoon this story would have been put to bed and we might not have even heard about it. But not the Biden administration. We don't want a royal relations. Right, because China's man, you're you're this is like a covenantal relationship with China. You can count on them. They'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? Chang stressed that under Xi Jinping, China lives in its own world of its own constructed reality and pointed out that one incident after another, including the intercept of the unarmed U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in international airspace in December, is not leading in a good direction. It's very dangerous what they're doing, he said. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken postponed, this just happened today, postponed his trip to China following the controversy. And again, remember, our president knew about this on Tuesday. Quote, by sending him, Blinken, there, the Chinese think that we are sending an envoy to the Great Celestial Court and that we're a vassal. So this was never going to work out. But clearly, in view of the spy incident, this is just unjust, Chang said. In China's mind, that shows that we will not defend ourselves. I'm not saying that the Chinese are right, but that's the Chinese mentality. That's an extremely dangerous situation when they believe that. Uh, I actually am going to agree with the Chinese mentality (laughs) that... Uh, President Biden is unlikely to do much of anything. Talk's tough, right? He's been in all those fights back there in Delaware, whatever, when he was a kid. But the fact that this thing's still floating over the country, I've got a picture of it of over my right shoulder that they took. Uh, I'm not sure when, but this thing's large. What's hanging under the balloon at 60,000 feet is the size of two school buses laid back to back. So end to end. So that, that's large. Okay, And the fact that it's still up there is ridiculous. Maybe Hunter's involved somehow. I mean, it's got too many friends and the big guy and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's so easy to be cynical of all this, isn't it? And distrusting of pretty much all of it, which is a big problem for our nation. I'm going to read something to you. Thanks, Jim Branch, for sending this to me this morning, uh, a must read. I'm going to do that in the fourth segment. A powerful reminder and a watchman on the wall Beautiful piece, uh, anonymous uh, author, really powerful. I'm going to share that with you in the fourth segment. Hunter Biden claims his laptop. <laughs> this is a Wall Street Journal opinion piece. Did you see this? This happened on Wednesday. So Hunter Biden's coming out swinging, which I'm sure the White House is not thrilled. They were hoping this would just go away. Just go away. Let's let's go deal with classified documents, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 of them out of 50 million. And uh, let's deal with that. And then let's go ahead and invite the the Department of Justice and the FBI into this house and that house. And then, hey, hey, you guys, can you guys come over? Would Wednesday work for you? You can come over and look for classified documents on Wednesday. That works for us and our schedule. How's that for you? It looks pretty good. Okay, great. See you in four days. (laughs) Right. In four days, the FBI is coming, honey. We might want to hide the meth lab or whatever. Right. It's ridiculous. Hunter Biden claims his laptop. This is really funny. So he's going on the offensive. That's because he's in a lot of trouble, is my guess. Wall Street Journal opinion piece. That's the news out of a batch of letters sent this week by Hunter's attorneys. They are demanding federal and state prosecutors and the IRS launch investigations into those involved uh, with distributing the contents of Mr. Biden's files from his infamous laptop. The Washington Post amusingly framed this as as a Hunter gets aggressive with his critics story relegating the real news to the 20th paragraph. In filing the complaint, however, Biden's lawyers seem to be conceding that some of the data that has been made public is his private information. So they're owning it. But now they're going to go after the people that released that information, which should have been the federal government at the time. Oh, the complaints are in fact an extraordinary admission that Hunter and his father, President Joe Biden, have misled the country for years. When the New York Post on October 14th, 2023, weeks before the election published emails that it said came from a Hunter laptop dropped off at a Delaware repair shop. The information was immediately branded Russian disinformation by the media, a clack of former intelligence officials, air quotes, and the Biden campaign. This provided a rationale for social media companies to shut down the story, despite this column's reporting that Hunter's own business partner, Tony uh, (laughs) bobolinsky it's hard to believe that's his real name, confirmed the authenticity of key documents on the laptop. This week's letters show that Hunter also knew the laptop's contents were real, yet he continued to mislead in April 2021, CBS News interview. Hunter was asked point blank, Was that your laptop? He said he didn't know. I mean, he should have just added, I get high a lot, so I'm I'm not really sure. Press further, and I'm not, that sounded terrible, but Hunter Biden's life is a train wreck, and that's sad. That's heartbreaking. It would be a nightmare to be his dad. Press further, he said, there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. It could be that I was hacked. It could be that it was, wait for it, Russian intelligence. It could be that it was stolen from me. By floating the rusky canard, Hunter continued to cast out on the information's legitimacy. Like son, like father. This is the world's Wall Street Journal. Op-ed and the run up to final presidential debate on October 22nd, 2020, a Biden campaign official declared, if we see tonight from Donald Trump, these attacks on Vice President Biden's family, I think we need to be very, very clear that what he's doing here is amplifying Russian misinformation. When Mr. Trump in that debate did bring up the laptop from hell, he called it. Joe Biden said it was a bunch of garbage and cited the 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. Mr. Biden said that more than once. His spokesman, Jen Psaki, again called the laptop story Russian disinformation in late 2021. There are two possibilities here, writes the Wall Street Journal. Hunter misled the Biden team or his father misled the nation. Either way, it was the current occupant of the White House who fed the country all this garbage. Wow. And the hits just keep coming. I mean, this is life in America these days is like one big Netflix series, isn't it? It's I mean, it's crazy. Now, I think Hunter and his dad are dirty. I think they've been uh, taking advantage of his dad's position for years. I think his dad, like in the emails, is the big guy that was getting a cut of everything. Hunter's life is a train wreck. He's got no particular uh, powerful business experience yet. Like when he was with Burisma, I think they were paying him 60 or 80 grand a month to be on the board. The whole thing is just a crime family Ponzi scheme. Gambino crime family kind of thing Uh, Actually, Biden crime family That's what I think the deal is And in some way that probably applies to the Chinese satellite Flying over us Look up there in the sky It's a bird, it's a plane it's a Chinese satellite. <laughs> Hot air balloon, Chinese satellite, just floating its way gently and gracefully, beautifully, undisturbed. Oh, it's at peace. Isn't that wonderful? Floating its way against across the continental U.S. The president found out about it on Tuesday. Here we are. Three days later, it's Friday afternoon. And it's still floating its way. And the picture I have behind me just looks like E.T. Looks like E.T. in the school, in the uh, basket on the front of his friend's Bicycle. Uh, Flying up into the sky with the moon in the background. Oh, look, it's E.T. E.T. phone home. How cute. But no, this isn't E.T. This is a Chinese spy satellite floating underneath a balloon, a blimp, whatever you want to call it. It's large. It looks like a weather blimp, weather balloon. Uh, But then the apparatus underneath is two school buses uh, back to back in length. It's massive. And they're worried about it hitting the ground. I'm going to move on from here. Trust me. But <clears throat> it reminded me, we looked it up, October of 1999. Remember Payne Stewart, the golfer? And he had chartered a Learjet. And then they figured out, because uh, it wasn't responding, it was at altitude, thirty, thirty five thousand 35,000 feet, whatever. And the oxygen system had gone bad. So everybody died inside the plane. It was on Uh, autopilot, and then they could actually figure out, this is 1999, 24 years ago, they could figure out, uh, based on the plane, what's going to happen when it runs out of fuel. Like, can we figure out the trajectory? Do we know where this thing's going to crash? Is it going to land? What's the autopilot going to do? There's all kinds of information out there. And 24 years ago, they figured that out. They tracked it live. I remember that. Then they're like, oh, it's going to come down somewhere around such and such place in South Dakota. And sure enough, and that was 24 years ago. Um, I'm pretty sure that the technological capability of the U.S. military has advanced just a smidge since then. And yet there it is. So I'm trying to find – I can't find like a live tracking thing. Somebody should already have a website up. TracktheChineseSatellite.com or something. And then you could go out. Like I get text messages about when the International Space Station is going to fly over my part of the world here in Raleigh. And I can go out if it's the right time of day or night and literally watch it cross the sky, which is super cool. And there's some a video on Twitter of just people that, I guess, spend time looking up at the sky during the day. And the guy's like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and then he zooms in. He's like, what? What is that? And then some other people you know, find out, and then they're taking – get the telephoto lens out there. And what's the president doing? I don't know, trying to figure out which door to walk through. At. Lord, help us. Unbelievable. So Al Sharpton, of course. I, I really – Am I going to see the guy in heaven? I don't know. I can't judge that. But I I can judge his activities here on earth from a biblical perspective. And I think he's just a race baiter. He's a race hustler. I think he's a charlatan. And uh, that's made him a lot of money. And now he's got a sweet gig on MSNBC. So he uh, goes to the funeral of Tyree Nichols, of course. I'm sure he inserted himself in there. And it'd probably be hard to say no to him if you're in the African-American community. Uh, because, you know, that that's going to bring light to what happened to your son. I understand that. But the guy's got it seems like he's got absolutely zero integrity. That if uh, Tyree Nichols had been white, police wouldn't wouldn't have beat him like that that night. He then offered his take on the beatings being racial, saying, I can't speak for everybody in Memphis. I can't speak for everybody gathering. But for me, I believe if that man had been white. You wouldn't have seen him beat like that. Really? The five black, uh, disgusting human beings who happen to be black makes it even worse because they beat another black man essentially to death. Uh, Oh, it's a white guy. We can't beat him to death because we'll get in trouble. You Really? People that are that debased, that are that violent, that are that sick, you really think the skin color of the other person is going to stop them? I think that's ridiculous. He slammed the officers involved in beating Nicholas as a disgrace to our race. Okay, good, Al. Okay, I'll give you a... I'll give you a little thumbs up on that and asked, did you think because you were black, we wouldn't say nothing? Did you think you would hide behind your blackness? I want to say it out loud and clear that we will fight black cops, white cops, any color cops that commit crimes um, against us. Talking about African-Americans, of course. So let me throw some stuff out there that some people uh, would really get triggered by this. And I'll, I'll add some nuance to it because this is a dangerous subject to wade into when you start talking about black crime, white crime, who the cops killing, yada, yada. Seventy five percent of uh, police killings are not black people. Seventy five percent are not black people. White, Asian, uh, Hispanic. OK, so that's seventy five percent, which means twenty five percent of cop killings uh, are of black individuals. Now, African-Americans make up 14 percent of the population, so they make up 14 percent of the population, but 25 percent of the uh, cop killings. And then you should immediately go, if you're honest, you should ask the question, OK, that, that's disproportionate. That's what we call that. Disproportionate. If it were totally proportionate, then uh, only 14 percent of uh, cop killings would be black individuals. But the, but the truth is, it's 25 percent. So you go, that's disproportionate. Okay, is that the end of the story? So the police system nationwide is racist to the core because they shoot and kill black people at uh, twice their rate? No, there's there's more to it, and that's where this goes where nobody likes to go very often. And then you have to deal with the fact that uh, 60% of all violent crimes are committed by black men, 60%. So they're a much disproportionate African-Americans are 14% of the nation's population, but they commit 60% of all violent crimes. That's all just crime statistics. You can go look at that yourself. Then, now let me stop and add a little nuance there. Now, what you do have to talk about, and we should be talking about this, and I think President uh, Obama totally missed this, is go, okay, why why do we have a situation where the African-American community, uh, that some portion of it, is committing 60% of all violent crimes? What's going on here? What's happened in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, where there's so much violence and so much crime, and there's a lot to that, but 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 Barack Obama should have dove into that uh, head first, but he didn't. So you could, could so would you say this? So guess percent what percentage of all uh, cop killings are female? It's it's only four percent. So if you say, well they're, well they're they're. uh, Obviously, they're sexist. Police are sexist. Well, no, because it's only four percent of who they shoot. So, but what percentage of all crimes are committed by women? Uh, it's about the same. Violent crimes. Very few violent crimes are committed by women. But nobody wants to go down this road. Now, where some people on my side of the table, on the right, conservative right, religious right, whichever part of the right you want to deal with, they'll just uh, they'll just mention some of the statistics. Which, if somebody's uh, quote unquote woke or particularly sensitive on the subject which we should all be sensitive with any community at any time where you have this kind of destruction self-inflicted in many ways and the, the problems that causes with the police and all the other stuff especially if you're going to call yourself a christian uh you, you should lament over that you should be broken hearted over that so and and that being the case if we add a little more scripture in there if it is possible as far as it depends on and you live at peace with everyone of course, Romans twelve eighteen, or you go into, I think it's maybe Psalm 32 or 34, somewhere in there, uh, seek peace and pursue it. Peace is a big deal. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Okay. So you don't unnecessarily uh, ruffle people's feathers or you don't do it just to ruffle their feathers. Now you speak the truth, knowing that that's going to cause some problems that got Jesus killed, obviously, which is also part of God's plan, but <clears throat> you don't go out there and just upset people just for the sake of upsetting people to make you, you feel more self-righteous. Okay, so you have to. I've learned over the years for myself that when I wade into these topics, I'm going to add some nuance. I'm going to broaden the conversation in order to try to protect a little bit my Christian witness on this subject. Okay, so I go, okay, that's that's where I'll say, okay, I'm not saying because if you say to somebody that's particularly concerned about it, yeah, but black people, especially black men, uh, account for sixty percent of all violent crime. And you just stop there. And I can understand why people would think that's insensitive because you still have a disproportionate killing of black men by the police. However, that's also offset by the fact that they that they commit a major disproportionate amount of violent crime. So the odds of young black men getting killed by a cop are way higher because there's just more crime in that particular community, which is heartbreaking. And then you got to ask the question, what's going on? How do we get here? And that, that opens up Pandora's box. That's not an afternoon conversation. That's not a one-hour show, a two-hour show, or a three-hour show, or a 24-hour-a-day-in-one-week show. There's so much to that. you got to go all the way back to the institutions of slavery and Reconstruction, Jim Crow laws, racism, what's happened in uh, the big cities versus the suburbs, what's happened with, uh, for some African Americans, why do some get out, why are some stuck? You get into all of that, the breakdown of the family, incarceration rates, drug use welfare, governmental policy. There are so many facets to this diamond. And as a Christian, because it leads to human suffering and degradation, all of that, you should have a broken heart about it. We should lament about these things. Oftentimes we get on our soapbox, we throw out the facts and we forget, I think, and I did, that we're talking about human beings here, all made in the image of God who Jesus died for just as much as he died for me or for you. So I'm just cautioning all of us. Yes, the facts absolutely matter. We have to be people of truth. But you're also dealing with other people and broken people and emotions and sin. And so as Christians, we need to be shrewd as vipers while at the same time being gentle as doves. Nice try, Al Sharpton. Just retire already. Okay, an incredible piece I want to read to you. Some good Friday music. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you. Hope you're going to have a wonderful and restful and perhaps not news-saturated weekend. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy B., for sending me this. This There's a lot to this. I'm going to walk you through this whole thing. Uh, Author unknown. There's a lot to ponder here, and I hope it affects all of us in terms of not only our prayer life, but our hearts, our brokenheartedness over our nation, state of our nation, and our, our desire to affect change in any way that we can that's blessable by god not the least of which of course is prayer but also evangelism discipleship engagement okay we, we we're not we do not have the option of walking through life as a follower of christ where where the main object of my attention is me myself and i that is not an option for us we die to ourselves we don't exalt ourselves so there's a lot here. Let's go. Men, like nations, think they're eternal. What man in his 20s or 30s doesn't believe, at least subconsciously, that he'll live forever? Remember those days? In the springtime of youth, an endless summer beckons. As you pass 70, it's harder to hide from reality as you lose friends and relatives. Nations also have seasons. Imagine a Roman of the near second century contemplating an empire that stretched from Britain to the Near East, thinking, This will endure forever. Forever was about 500 years, give or take. Not bad but gone. France was pivotal in the 17th and 18th centuries. Now the land of Charles Martel is on its way to becoming part of the Muslim Ummah. because they're not going to have to fire a shot. They're going to take over Europe just in terms of numbers, because the the Muslims, by the way, in Europe are are reproducing at a very high rate and the regular Europeans are beneath their replenishment rate. So it's just a matter of people having babies in the 19th and early, early 20th centuries. The sun never set on the British empire. Now, Albion exists in perpetual twilight, and its recently 97-year-old sovereign uh, is a fitting symbol for a nation in terminal decline. In the 1980s, Japan seemed poised to buy the world. Business schools taught Japanese management techniques. Today, its birth rate is so low and its population aging so rapidly that an industry has sprung up to remove the remains of elderly Japanese who die alone. I was born, the writer... In 1945, almost at the midpoint of the 20th century, the American century, America's prestige and influence were never greater. Thanks to the greatest generation, we won a world war, fought throughout most of Europe, Asia, and the Pacific. We reduced Germany to rubble and put the rising sun to bed. It set the stage for almost a half a century of unprecedented prosperity. We stopped the spread of communism in Europe and Asia and fought international terrorism. We rebuilt our enemies and lavished foreign aid on much of the world. We built skyscrapers and rockets to the moon. We conquered polio and now COVID. We explored the mysteries of the universe and the wonders of the DNA, the blueprint of life. But where is the glory that was once Rome? America has moved from a relatively free economy to essentially socialism, which has worked so well, nowhere in the world. We've gone from a Republican government guided by a constitution to a regime of revolving elites. We have less freedom with each passing year. Like a signpost to the coming... Reign of terror that cancel culture is everywhere. We've traded the American Revolution for the Cultural Revolution. The pathetic creature in the White House is an empty vessel filled by his, land, his handlers. At the G7 summit, Dr. Jill, or his wife, had to lead him like a child. In 1961, when we were young and vigorous, our leader was too. Now a feeble nation is technically led by the oldest man to ever serve in the presidency. We can't defend our borders, our history, including monuments to past greatness, or our streets. Our cities have become anarchist playgrounds. We're a nation of dependents, mendicants, and misplaced charity. Homeless veterans camp in the streets while illegal aliens are put up in the hotels. And then complain when they're not nice enough. The President of the United States can't even quote the beginning of the Declaration of Independence. You know, the thing. Remember that. Ivy League graduates routinely fail history tests that fifth graders could pass a generation ago. Crime rates soar and we blame the Second Amendment and slash police budgets. Our culture is certifiably insane. I would add C. Romans 1. Men who think they're women, people who fight racism by seeking to convince members of one race that they're inherently evil, and others that they are perpetual victims. A psychiatrist lecturing at Yale said she fantasizes about unloading a revolver into the head of any white person. We slaughter the unborn in the name of freedom while our birth rate dips lower year by year. Our national debt is so high that we can no longer even pretend that we will repay it one day. It's a $31.5 trillion monument to our improvidence and refusal to confront reality. Our entitlement is sadistic, nihilistic, and as enduring as a candy bar wrapper thrown in the trash. Our music is noise that spans the spectrum from annoying to repulsive. Patriotism is called insurrection, treason celebrated, and perversion sanctified. A man in blue gets less respect than a man in a dress. We're asking soldiers to fight for a nation our leaders no longer believe in. How meekly most of us submitted to Fauciism, the regime of face masks, lockdowns, and hand sanitizers, shows the impending death of the American spirit. How do nations slip from greatness to obscurity? Fighting endless wars they can't or won't win. Accumulating massive debt far beyond their ability to repay. Refusing to guard their borders, allowing the nation to be inundated by an alien horde. Surrendering control of their cities to mob rule, allowing indoctrination of the young, moving from a Republican form of government to an oligarchy, losing national identity, indulging indolence, abandoning God, faith, and family, the bulwarks of any stable society. In America, every one of these symptoms is pronounced, indicating an advanced stage of the disease. Even if the cause seems hopeless, do we not have an obligation to those who sacrifice so much to give us what we had? I'm surrounded by ghosts urging me on, the Union soldiers who held Cemetery Ridge at Gettysburg, the battered bastards at Bastogne, those who served in the cold hell of Korea, the guys who went to the jungles of Southeast Asia and came home to be reviled or neglected. This is the nation that took in my immigrant grandparents whose uniform my father and most of my uncles wore in the Second World War. I don't want to imagine a world without America, even though it's becoming increasingly likely. During Britain's darkest hour, when its professional army was trapped at Dunkirk and a German invasion seemed imminent, Churchill reminded his countrymen nations that go down fighting rise again, and those that surrender tamely are finished. The same might be said of causes. If we let America slip through our fingers, if we lose without a fight, what will posterity say of us? While the prognosis is far from good, only God knows if America's day in the sun is over. Now, I'll, I'll copy and paste that into Facebook Live. I'll put it on my both Facebook pages right after the show's over. So you can have that and share it. And it's profound and I think uh, almost entirely accurate. Now, it lacks. What does it lack, what I just read you? What does it lack? It lacks a deeply Christian biblical perspective. As long as God's on the throne, anything is possible. Nothing is impossible for God. We learn from the scriptures and from experience. We see that. We understand that. So what do you do with all this? Well, as for me and my house, we try to serve the Lord to the best of our ability. It's the reason I'm here. It's the reason that three days out of the week, I walk into eight different classes of high school age homeschools and do two other classes online and and spend time trying to encourage, educate, challenge, equip, confront, love, and lead the next generation of leaders in this country. I can't do nothing. And and what does God call you to do? What does he call me to do? He calls you. He calls me to faithfulness. Okay, fine. You don't have a radio show. Okay, fine. You don't have a podcast. Okay, fine. You don't have a bunch of people on your Facebook page. Okay, fine. You don't have, you know, 160, 170 high school students that you spend time with each week. Okay. Well, God didn't call you to be me. He didn't call you to occupy my place on the wall. He called you to deal with your place on the wall. And your place on the wall isn't mine. Mine isn't any better than yours. It might be a little bigger. It might be a little more obvious. But in God's hands, it's not better. I would argue that it's not more important because if you're going to have a sanctity of human life uh, mindset and philosophy as a Christian, then every life that you touch has inestimable worth. So you're dealing with infinite worth here. So whether you can affect 20 people or 20,000 people, God only calls you to affect the people that he allows you to to, uh, interact with. He calls you to be faithful with your platform, whatever that is. I don't have a platform, Steve. Yes, you do. Do you know anybody? I would include yourself. Are you trying to advance yourself as a believer? Are you trying to go deeper, get stronger, be more faithful? What about your spouse? What about your kids? What about your grandkids? What about your neighbors? What about the people you work with or socialize with? You don't have a platform? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And just because I have a bigger one doesn't give you an excuse to not manage and be faithful to the one God's allowed you to have. But we all have a platform, which is why I tell my students every week, just about every week, I bring this D. James Kennedy quote in from years ago. D. James Kennedy said, Christians should be like hurricanes. And everywhere we go, nothing stays the same. So that's the question that I have to wrestle with. What's different in the world? Because I'm here. Is anything changing because of what I do? Got to ask that question. You need to ask that question too. You need to look in the mirror. This evening, tonight, tomorrow morning, you need to look in the mirror and say, and ask the same question. What am I doing to impact the people around me? Am I sharing the gospel? Am I discipling younger believers? Am I fighting my own sin? Am I glorifying God? And am I being a good ambassador? I don't, I, are America's best days behind her? My cynical side says yes. But I do have a hopeful side. Because as long as God's on the throne, anything's possible. Just one day, ask Lazarus. But again, it's going to come down to not what happened to the nation, but what did you do with what you were given? How faithful were you with the platform God has given you? Pray about that. Think about that this weekend. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward. Another program powered by the Truth Network.